Chapter Thirty Three, Part Two, of the Cloister and the Hearth by Charles Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Denham. At the next town they came to, suddenly an arbalestrier ran out of a tavern after them, and in a moment his beard and Denise were like two brushes stuck together. It was a comrade. He insisted on their coming into the tavern with him, and breaking a bottle of wine. In the course of conversation he told Denis there was an insurrection in the Duke's Flemish provinces, and soldiers were ordered thither from all parts of Burgundy. "'Indeed, I marvelled to see thy face turned this way.' "'I go to embrace my folk that I have not seen these three years. "'Ye can quell a bit of a rising without me, I trow.' "'Suddenly Denis gave a start. "'Dost hear, Gerard? "'This comrade is bound for Holland.' "'What then? "'Ah, a letter, a letter to Margaret. "'But will he be so good, so kind?' "'The soldier, with a torrent of blasphemy, informed him that he would not only take it, but go a league or two out of his way to do it. In an instant out came inkhorn and paper from Gerard's wallet, and he wrote a long letter to Margaret, and told her briefly what I fear I have spun too tediously, dwelt most on the bear, and the plunge in the Rhine, and the character of Denis, whom he painted to the life. And with many endearing expressions, bade her be of good cheer. Some trouble and peril there had been, but that was all over now, and his only grief left was that he could not hope to have a word from her hand till he should reach Rome. He ended with comforting her again as hard as he could, and so absorbed was he in his love and his work, that he did not see all the people in the room were standing peeping, to watch the nimble and true finger execute such rare penmanship. Denis, proud of his friend's skill, let him alone, till presently the writer's face worked, and soon the scalding tears began to run down his young cheeks, one after another on the paper where he was then writing comfort, comfort. Then Denis rudely repulsed the curious and asked his comrade with a faltering voice whether he had the heart to let so sweet a love-letter miscarry. The other swore by the face of St. Luke he would lose the forefinger of his right hand sooner. Seeing him so ready, Gerard charged him also with a short, cold letter to his parents, and in it he drew hastily with his pen two hands grasping each other to signify farewell. By the by, one drop of bitterness found its way into his letter to Margaret, but of that anon. Gerard now offered money to the soldier. He hesitated, but declined it. No, no, art comrade of my comrade, and may, etc. But thy love for the wench touches me. I'll break another bottle at thy charge, and thou wilt, and so cry quits. "'Well said, comrade,' cried Denis. "'Hadst taken money, I had invited thee to walk in the courtyard and cross swords with me. "'Whereupon I had cut thy comb for thee,' retorted the other. 
Hadst done thy endeavour, droll, I doubt not. They drank the new bottle, shook hands, adhered to custom, and parted on opposite routes. This delay, however, somewhat put out Denis' calculations, and evening surprised them ere they reached the little town he was making for, where was a famous hotel. However, they fell in with a roadside auberge, and Denis, seeing a buxom girl at the door, said, "'This seems a decent inn,' and led the way into the kitchen. They ordered supper, to which no objection was raised, only the landlord requested them to pay for it beforehand. It was not an uncommon proposal in any part of the world. Still, it was not universal, and Dennis was nettled, and dashed his hand somewhat ostentatiously into his purse, and pulled out a gold angel. "'Count me the change, and speedily,' said he. "'You tavern-keepers are more likely to rob me than are you.' While the supper was preparing, Denis disappeared, and was eventually found by Gerard in the yard, helping Manon, his plump but not bright decoy duck, to draw water, and pouring extravagant compliments into her dullish ear. Gerard grunted and returned to table, but Denis did not come in for a good quarter of an hour. "'Uphill work at the end of a march,' said he, shrugging his shoulders. "'What matters that to you?' said Gerard dryly. "'The mad dog bites all the world.' "'Exaggerator! You know I bite but the fairer half. Well, here comes supper. That is better worth biting.' During supper the girl kept constantly coming in and out, and looking point-blank at them, especially at Denis, and at last in leaning over him to remove a dish, dropped a word in his ear, and he replied with a nod. As soon as supper was cleared away, Denis rose and strolled to the door, telling Gerard the sullen fare had relented, and given him a little rendezvous in the stable-yard. Gerard suggested that the calf-pen would have been a more appropriate locality. "'I shall go to bed, then,' said he, a little crossly. "'Where is the landlord, out at this time of night? "'No matter. I know our room. Shall he be long, pray?' "'Not I. I grudge leaving the fire and thee. But what can I do? There are two sorts of invitations a Burgundian never declines.' Denis found a figure seated by the well. It was Manon, but instead of receiving him, as he thought he had a right to expect, coming by invitation, all she did was to sob. He asked her what ailed her. She sobbed. Could he do anything for her? She sobbed. The good-natured Denis, driven to his wit's end, which was no great distance, proffered the custom of the country by way of consolation. She repulsed him roughly. "'Is it a time for fooling?' said she, and sobbed. "'You seem to think so,' said Denis, waxing wroth. But the next moment he added tenderly, "'And I, who could never bear to see beauty in distress.' "'It is not for myself.' "'Who, then? Your sweetheart? Oh, Kenny!' 
my sweetheart is not on earth now, and that to think I have not an écu to buy masses for his soul. And in this shallow nature the grief seemed now to be all turned in another direction. "'Come, come,' said Denis, "'shalt have money to buy masses for thy dead lad, I swear it. Meantime, tell me why you weep.' "'For you.' "'For me? Art mad?' "'No, I am not mad. "'Tis you that were mad to open your purse before him.' The mystery seemed to thicken, and Denis, wearied of stirring up the mud by questions, held his peace to see if it would not clear of itself. Then the girl, finding herself no longer questioned, seemed to go through some internal combat. At last she said, doggedly and aloud, "'I will!' The Virgin give me courage! What matters it if they kill me, since he is dead? Soldier, the landlord is out. Oh, is he? What, do landlords leave their taverns at this time of night? Also, see what a tempest! We are sheltered here, but t'other side it blows a hurricane. Denis said nothing. He is gone to fetch the band. The band? What band? Those who will cut your throat and take your gold, wretched man, to go and shake gold in an innkeeper's face. The blow came so unexpectedly it staggered even Denis, accustomed as he was to sudden perils. He muttered a single word, but in it a volume. Gerard! Gerard, what is that? Oh, tis thy comrade's name, poor lad. Get him out quick, ere they come, and fly to the next town. And thou? They will kill me. That shall they not. Fly with us. Twill avail me naught. One of the band will be sent to kill me. They are sworn to slay all who betray them. I'll take thee to my native place full thirty leagues from thence, and put thee under my own mother's wing, ere they shall hurt a hair of thy head. But first, Gerard, stay thou here whilst I fetch him. As he was darting off, the girl seized him convulsively, and with all the iron strength excitement lends to women, Stay me not, for pity's sake, he cried, tis life or death. Shh! whispered the girl, shutting his mouth hard with her hand, and putting her pale lips close to him, and her eyes that seemed to turn backwards, straining towards some indistinct sound. He listened. He heard footsteps, many footsteps, and no voices. She whispered in his ear, "'They are come!' and trembled like a leaf. Denis felt it was so, Travellers in that number would never have come in dead silence. The feet were now at the very door. "'How many?' said he in a hollow whisper. "'Hush!' And she put her mouth to his very ear. And who that had seen this man and woman in that attitude would have guessed what freezing hearts were theirs, and what terrible whispers passed between them? "'How armed!' sword and dagger, and the giant with his axe. They call him the abbot. 
and my comrade? Nothing could save him. Better lose one life than two. Fly! Denise blood froze at this cynical advice. Poor creature, you know not a soldier's heart. He put his head in his hands a moment, and a hundred thoughts of dangers baffled whirled through his brain. Listen, girl, there is one chance for our lives if thou wilt but be true to us. Run to the town, to the nearest tavern, and tell the first soldier there that a soldier here is sore beset but armed, and his life to be saved if they will but run. Then to the bailiff, but first to the soldiers. Nay, not a word, but bust me, good lass, and fly. Men's lives hang on thy heels. She kilted up her gown to run. He came round to the road with her, saw her cross the road, cringing with fear, then glide away, then turn into an erect shadow, then melt away in the storm. And now he must get to Gerard. But how? He had to run the gauntlet of the whole band. He asked himself what was the worst thing they could do, for he had learned in war that an enemy does not what you hope he will do, but what you hope he will not do. Attack me as I enter the kitchen, then I must not give them time. Just as he drew near to the latch, a terrible thought crossed him. Suppose they had already dealt with Gerard. Why, then, thought he, naught is left but to kill and be killed. And he strung his bow and walked rapidly into the kitchen. There were seven hideous faces seated round the fire, and the landlord pouring them out neat brandy, blood's forerunner in every age. "'What company!' cried Denis gaily. "'One minute, my lads, and I'll be with you.' And he snatched up a lighted candle off the table, opened the door that led to the staircase, and went up it, hallooing, "'What, Gerard, whither hast thou skulked to?' There was no answer. He hallooed louder, "'Gerard, where art thou?' After a moment, in which Denis lived an hour of agony, a peevish, half-inarticulate noise issued from the room at the head of the little stairs. Denis burst in, and there was Gerard asleep. "'Thank God!' he said in a choking voice, then began to sing loud, untuneful ditties. Gerard put his fingers into his ears, but presently he saw in Denis's face a horror that contrasted strangely with this sudden merriment. "'What ails thee?' said he, sitting up and staring. "'Hush!' said Denis, and his hand spoke even more plainly than his lips. "'Listen to me!' Denis then pointing significantly to the door, to show Gerard's sharp ears were listening hard by, continued his song aloud, but under cover of it threw in short, muttered syllables. "'Our lives are in peril! Thieves! Thy doublet! Thy sword! Aid! Coming! Put off time!' Then aloud, "'Well, thou wilt have t'other bottle, say nay!' "'No, not I. But I tell thee there are half a dozen jolly fellows!' tired, 
"'Ay, but I am too wearied,' said Gerard. "'Go thou!' "'Nay, nay!' Then he went to the door, and called out cheerfully, "'Landlord, the young milksop will not rise. Give those honest fellows t'other bottle. I will pay for it in the morning.' He heard a brutal and fierce chuckle. Having thus, by observation, made sure the kitchen door was shut, and the miscreants were not actually listening, he examined the chamber door closely, then quietly shut it, but did not bolt it, and went and inspected the window. It was too small to get out of, and yet a thick bar of iron had been let in the stone to make it smaller, and just as he made this chilling discovery, the outer door of the house was bolted with a loud clang. Denis groaned. The beasts are in the shambles. But would the thieves attack them while they were awake? Probably not. Not to throw away this their best chance, the poor souls now made a series of desperate efforts to converse, as if discussing ordinary matters, and by this means Gerard learned all that had passed, and that the girl was gone for aid. "'Pray heaven she may not lose heart by the way,' said Denis sorrowfully. And Denis begged Gerard's forgiveness for bringing him out of his way for this. Gerard forgave him. "'I would fear them less, Gerard, but for one they called the abbot. I picked him out at once. Taller than you, bigger than us both put together. Fights with an axe.' Gerard, a man to lead a herd of deer to battle. I shall kill that man to-night, or he will kill me. I think somehow tis he will kill me. Saints forbid! Shoot him at the door! What avails his strength against your weapon? I shall pick him out, but if it comes to hand-fighting, run swiftly under his guard, or you are a dead man. I tell thee, neither of us may stand a blow of that axe. You never saw such a body of a man. Gerard was for bolting the door, but Denis, with a sign, showed him that half the doorpost turned outward on a hinge, and the great bolt was little more than a blind. I have forborne to bolt it, said he, that they may think us the less suspicious. Near an hour rolled away thus. It seemed an age, yet it was but a little hour and the town was a league distant, and some of the voices in the kitchen became angry and impatient. "'They will not wait much longer,' said Denis, "'and we have no chance at all unless we surprise them.' "'I will do whate'er you bid,' said Gerard meekly. There was a cupboard on the same side as the door, but between it and the window. It reached nearly to the ground, but not quite. Denis opened the cupboard door and placed Gerard on a chair behind it. "'If they run for the bed, strike at the napes of their necks. A sword cut there always kills or disables.' He then arranged the bolsters and their shoes in the bed so as to deceive a person peeping from a distance, and drew the short curtains at the head. Meantime Gerard was on his knees. Denis looked round and saw him. "'Ah!' said Denis, 
above all, pray them to forgive me for bringing you into this guet-apens. And now they grasped hands and looked in one another's eyes, and oh, such a look! Denis's hand was cold and Gerard's warm. They took their posts. Denis blew out the candle. We must keep silence now. But in the terrible tension of their nerves and very souls, they found they could hear a whisper fainter than any man could catch at all outside that door. They could hear each other's heart thump at times. Good news, breathed Denis, listening at the door. They are casting lots. Pray that it may be the abbot. Yes, why? If he comes alone, I can make sure of him. Denis! Aye, I fear I shall go mad if they do not come soon. Shall I feign sleep? Shall I snore? Will that? Perhaps. Do then, and God have mercy on us. Denis snored at intervals. There was a scuffling of feet heard in the kitchen, and then all was still. Denis snored again, then took up his position behind the door. But he, or they who had drawn the lot, seemed determined to run no foolish risks. Nothing was attempted in a hurry. When they were almost starved with cold and waiting for the attack, the door on the stairs opened softly and closed again. Nothing more. There was another harrowing silence. Then a single light footstep on the stair, and nothing more. Then a light crept under the door, and nothing more. Presently there was a gentle scratching, not half so loud as a mouse's, and the false doorpost opened by degrees and left a perpendicular space through which the light streamed in. The door, had it been bolted, would now have hung by the bare tip of the bolt, which went into the real doorpost, but as it was, it swung gently open of itself. It opened inwards, so Denis did not raise his crossbow from the ground, but merely grasped his dagger. The candle was held up and shaded from behind by a man's hand. He was inspecting the beds from the threshold, satisfied that his victims were both in bed. The man glided into the apartment, but at the first step something in the position of the cupboard and chair made him uneasy. He ventured no further but put the candle on the floor and stopped to peer under the chair but as he stooped, an iron hand grasped his shoulder, and a dagger was driven so fiercely through his neck that the point came out at his gullet. There was a terrible hiccup, but no cry, and half a dozen silent strokes followed in swift succession, each a death-blow, and the assassin was laid noiselessly on the floor. Denis closed the door, bolted it gently, drew the post to, and even while he was going whispered Gerard to bring a chair. It was done. Help me set him up. Dead? 
Parbleu! What for? Frighten them, gain time. Even while saying this, Denis had whipped a piece of string round the dead man's neck, and tied him to the chair, and there the ghastly figure sat fronting the door. "'Denis, I can do better. Saints forgive me.' "'What? Be quick, then. We have not many moments.' And Denis got his crossbow ready, and tearing off his straw mattress, reared it before him, and prepared to shoot the moment the door should open for he had no hope any more would come singly when they found the first did not return. While thus employed, Gerard was busy about the seated corpse, and to his amazement Denis saw a luminous glow spreading rapidly over the white face. Gerard blew out the candle, and on this the corpse's faces shone still more like a glow-worm's head. Denis shook in his shoes, and his teeth chattered. "'What in heaven's name is this?' he whispered. "'Hush! Tis but phosphorus, but twill serve.' "'Away! They will surprise thee!' In fact, uneasy mutterings were heard below, and at last a deep voice said, "'What makes him so long? Is the droll rifling them?' It was their comrade they suspected then, not the enemy. Soon a step came softly but rapidly up the stairs. The door was gently tried. When this resisted, which was clearly not expected, the sham post was very cautiously moved, and an eye no doubt peeped through the aperture, for there was a howl of dismay, and the man was heard to stumble back and burst into the kitchen, here a babel of voices rose directly on his return. Gerard ran to the dead thief, and began to work on him again. "'Back, madman!' whispered Denis. "'Nay, nay, I know these ignorant brutes. They will not venture here a while. I can make him ten times more fearful. At least close that opening. Let them not see you at your devilish work.' Gerard closed the sham post, and in half a minute his brush gave the dead head a sight to strike any man with dismay. He put his art to a strange use, and one unparalleled perhaps in the history of mankind. He illuminated his dead enemy's face to frighten his living foe, the staring eyeballs he made globes of fire, the teeth he left white, for so they were more terrible by the contrast, but the palate and tongue he tipped with fire, and made one lurid cavern of the red depths the chap-fallen jaw revealed, and on the brow he wrote in burning letters, La Mort. And while he was doing it, the stout Denis was quaking, and fearing the vengeance of heaven, for one man's courage is not another's, and the band of miscreants below were quarrelling and disputing loudly, and now without disguise. The steps that led down to the kitchen were fifteen, but they were nearly perpendicular. There was therefore in point of fact no distance between the besiegers and besieged, and the latter now caught almost every word. At last one was heard to cry out, 
I tell you, the devil has got him and branded him with hellfire. I am more like to leave this cursed house than go again into a room that is full of fiends. Art drunk, or mad, or a coward? said another. Call me a coward, I'll give thee my dagger's point and send thee where Pierre sits or fire forever. Come, no quarrelling when work is afoot, roared a tremendous diapason, or I'll brain ye both with my fist and send ye where we shall all go soon or late. The abbot, whispered Denis gravely. He felt the voice he had just heard could belong to no man but the colossus he had seen in passing through the kitchen. It made the place vibrate. The quarrelling continued some time, and then there was a dead silence. "'Look out, Gerard. Aye, what will they do next?' "'We shall soon know. Shall I wait for you, or cut down the first that opens the door? Wait for me, lest we strike the same and waste a blow.' Alas, we cannot afford that. Dead silence. Sudden came into the room a thing that made them start and their hearts quiver. And what was it? A moonbeam. Even so can this machine, the body by the soul's action, be strung up to start and quiver. The sudden ray shot keen and pure into that shamble. Its calm, cold silvery soul traversed the apartment in a stream of no great volume for the window was narrow after the first tremor gerard whispered courage denis god's eye is on us even here and he fell upon his knees with his face turned towards the window Ay, it was like a holy eye opening suddenly on human crime and human passions. Many a scene of blood and crime that pure cold eye had rested on, but on few more ghastly than this, where two men with a lighted corpse between them waited panting to kill and be killed. Nor did the moonlight deaden that horrible corpse light. If anything, it added to its ghastliness for the body sat at the edge of the moonbeam, which cut sharp across the shoulder and the ear, and seemed blue and ghastly and unnatural by the side of that lurid glow in which the face and eyes and teeth shone horribly. But Denis dared not look that way. The moon drew a broad stripe of light across the door, and on that his eyes were glued. Presently he whispered, Gerard. Gerard looked and raised his sword. Acutely as they had listened, they had heard of late no sound on the stair. Yet therein the doorpost, at the edge of the stream of moonlight, were the tips of the fingers of a hand. The nails glistened. Presently they began to crawl and crawl down towards the bolt, but with infinite slowness and caution. In so doing they crept into the moonlight. The actual motion was imperceptible, but slowly, slowly, the fingers came out whiter and whiter, but the hand between the main knuckles and the wrist remained dark. Denis slowly raised his crossbow. He levelled it. He took a long, 
steady aim. Gerard palpitated. At last the crossbow twanged. The hand was instantly nailed with a stern jar to the quivering doorpost. There was a scream of anguish. "'Cut!' whispered Denis eagerly, and Gerard's uplifted sword descended and severed the wrist with two swift blows. A body sank down moaning outside. The hand remained inside, immovable, with blood trickling from it down the wall. The fierce bolt, slightly barbed, had gone through it and deep into the real doorpost. Two, said Denis, with terrible cynicism. He strung his crossbow and kneeled behind his cover again. The next will be the abbot. The wounded man moved, and presently crawled down to his companions on the stairs, and the kitchen door was shut. There nothing was heard now but low muttering. The last incident had revealed the mortal character of the weapons used by the besieged. "'I begin to think the abbot's stomach is not so great as his body,' said Denis. The words were scarcely out of his mouth when the following events happened all in a couple of seconds. The kitchen door was opened roughly, a heavy but active man darted up the stairs without any manner of disguise, and a single ponderous blow sent the door not only off its hinges but right across the room onto Denis' fortification, which it struck so rudely as nearly to lay him flat, and in the doorway stood a colossus with a glittering axe. He saw the dead man with the moon's blue light on half his face, and the red light on the other half, and inside his chap-fallen jaws. He stared, his arms fell, his knees knocked together, and he crouched with terror. La he cried in tones of terror, and turned and fled, in which act Denis started up and shot him through both jaws. He sprang with one bound into the kitchen, and there leaned on his axe, spitting blood and teeth and curses. Denis strung his bow and put his hand into his breast. He drew it out, dismayed. "'My last bolt is gone,' he groaned. "'But we have our swords, and you have slain the giant.' "'No, Gerard,' said Denis gravely, "'I have not.' and the worst is I have wounded him. Fool to shoot at a retreating lion! He had never faced thy handiwork again but for my meddling. Ha! To your guard! I hear them open the door! Then Denis, depressed by the one error he had committed in all this fearful night, felt convinced his last hour had come. He drew his sword, but like one doomed. But what is this? A red light flickers on the ceiling. Gerard flew to the window and looked out. There were men with torches and breastplates gleaming red. "'We are saved! Armed men!' And he dashed his sword through the window, shouting, "'Quick! Quick! We are so pressed!' "'Back!' yelled Denis. "'They come! Strike none but him!' 
That very moment the abbot and two men with naked weapons rushed into the room. Even as they came, the outer door was hammered fiercely, and the abbot's comrades, hearing it, and seeing the torchlight, turned and fled. Not so the terrible abbot. Wild with rage and pain, he spurned his dead comrade, chair and all, across the room. Then, as the men faced him on each side with kindling eyeballs, he waved his tremendous axe like a feather, right and left, and cleared a space, then lifted it to hew them both in pieces. His antagonists were inferior in strength, but not in swiftness and daring and above all they had settled how to attack him. The moment he reared his axe, they flew at him like cats, and both together. If he struck a full blow with his weapon he would most likely kill one, but the other would certainly kill him. He saw this, and intelligent as well as powerful, he thrust the handle fiercely in Denny's face, and turning, jobbed with the steel at Gerard. Denny went staggering back, covered with blood. Gerard had rushed in like lightning, and just as the axe turned to descend on him, drove his sword so fiercely through the giant's body that the very hilt sounded on his ribs like the blow of a pugilist, and Denis, staggering back to help his friend, saw a steel point come out of the abbot behind. The stricken giant bellowed like a bull, dropped his axe, and clutching Gerard's throat tremendously shook him like a child. Then Denis, with a fierce snarl, drove his sword into the giant's back. "'Stand firm now!' and he pushed the cold steel through and through the giant, and out at his breast. Thus horribly spitted on both sides, the abbot gave a violent shudder, and his heels hammered the ground convulsively. His lips, fast turning blue, opened wide and deep, and he cried, La mort! La mort! La mort! The first time in a roar of despair, and then twice in a horror-stricken whisper, never to be forgotten. Just then the street door was forced. Suddenly the abbot's arms whirled like windmills, and his huge body wrenched wildly and carried them to the doorway, twisting their wrists and nearly throwing them off their legs. "'He'll win clear yet!' cried Denis. "'Out, steel, and in again!' They tore out their smoking swords, but ere they could stab again, the abbot leapt full five feet high, and fell with a tremendous crash against the door below, carrying it away with him like a sheet of paper, and through the aperture the glare of torches burst on the awestruck faces above, half-blinding them. The thieves at the first alarm had made for the back door, but driven thence by a strong guard ran back to the kitchen, just in time to see the lock forced out of the socket, and half a dozen mailed archers burst in upon them. On these, in pure despair, they drew their swords. But ere a blow was struck on either side, 
the staircase door behind them was battered into their midst with one ponderous blow, and with it the abbot's body came flying, hurled as they thought by no mortal hand, and rolled on the floor, spouting blood from back and bosom in two furious jets, and quivered, but breathed no more. The thieves, smitten with dismay, fell on their knees directly, and the archers bound them, while above the rescued ones still stood like statues rooted to the spot, their dripping swords extended in the red torchlight, expecting their indomitable enemy to leap back on them as wonderfully as he had gone. End of chapter 33, part 2 Reading by Tom Denham